We also want to start today, we're going to look at Jesus, the high priest who delivers us. We are going to be primarily in the book of Hebrews, so I would encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews as we consider Jesus, our high priest. Now, as we look at Exodus, obviously our series is on the book of Exodus and how God delivers us. We've been looking at that, and we've got a few more weeks to go uh, today, and then two more Sundays we'll be looking at the book of Exodus. And uh, today I want to focus on the instructions of the high priest, and there are a number of instructions as we move through Exodus, and then as we move into the book of Leviticus, there is a ton on the sacrificial system and what the priests were supposed to do and how they were to do it, and on and on it goes. It's interesting as we consider, if you read the book of Exodus, especially starting in chapter 28, and it starts to talk about the priesthood. Uh, the priests were involved pretty early, even as, they, as the people of Israel were approaching Mount Sinai to receive the commandments from God. So um, God instituted this, uh, this uh, part of the people of Israel, which had to do with Aaron and his sons and their sons initially, and one of the tribes of Israel, they began to be in place in order to minister to the people of Israel before God. And one of the things that stood out to me was the clothing that they were required to wear. It's really fascinating. I mean, I had read it before, but uh, here in Exodus chapter 28, verse 4, this phrase is repeated a number of times in reference to the clothing that they were to make for the priests. So there were special people that were gifted to make this clothing, and they went to the task, and they created this clothing, and in some way, the clothing that the priests wore was necessary and important for them as they ministered to me, God, as priest. Over and over again, this was uh, repeated. But we have the same trouble that we had last week. Remember last week when I was talking about the tabernacle? It's like chapter after chapter and verse after verse of all of these details and nitpicky stuff, and it had to be just so. And here it is no different with respect to the priests, what they were supposed to do, the clothing they were supposed to wear, and how they were supposed to minister. Now, all of it meant something. For example, uh, there was a part of their their outfit that was called the ephod. And on the ephod, they had two stones. And it's, it's interesting how the two stones parallel the stones that Moses you know, had the Ten Commandments on. But on these two stones that the priest had on the ephod, they were to carve in the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so the priest, as he's ministering before the Lord, he has there over his heart, in a sense, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, thus representing all the people of Israel. So he would take this, these garments, he'd be wearing them, he'd go in and minister to the Lord on behalf of the people of Israel. And that's really what the purpose of the priest was, or one of, the, one of their purposes, one of their duties. And uh, uh, when we turn to Hebrews, and, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time. I know that's an, un, uh, how, how, that's an unusual place to spend uh, time looking when you're studying the book of Exodus, you know, but we're going to be looking in the book of Hebrews. But it's interesting because as we read the book of Hebrews, there's a lot of reference back to what's going on in Exodus. So we find in Hebrews chapter 5, and this is going to be our first verse that we look at in detail. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, 
we find a description, a summary of the duties of the priesthood in the Old Testament. So everything that Exodus says about the priesthood and Leviticus and other passages is kind of summarized in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And this is what it says concerning the high priest. Every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer, and this is kind of the first thing that the priest was to do, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So the priests in the Old Testament, they were to take, they were appointed from men. I mean, they were people, like the rest of them. And they were to take these offerings, these sacrifices for sins before God on behalf of the people. Verse 2, it says, He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. So this was the second thing, um, among others, that the priest was supposed to do. When he offered his sacrifice, it was to be out of compassion for the people. You, you see it there in verse, in verse 2, that he can have compassion on those who are ignorant, since he himself is the same as they are. Verse 3, because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. So we see it again. The sacrifices to be made for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So there's a summary of what the priests were supposed to do. And so they offered and they ministered, starting with Aaron and his sons, but um, it quickly became evident that they were not perfect. There's this incident, Aaron had four children, I mean grown, they were grown, and two of them went before the Lord and they didn't follow the instructions. They brought, it's called unholy fire, and when they offered this fire, this incense before the Lord, the fire of the Lord shot out from his presence and consumed the two sons of Aaron. They died because they didn't do it right. And then, on top of that, God told Moses and Aaron that they, Aaron especially, that they could not weep. He could not weep for the two children that had just died. He was not allowed to weep for them because they had just dishonored the Lord. So it was a, a tough business here. But this was what Aaron and his sons were called to. But it shows that the entire priesthood, Aaron and his sons, that priesthood was imperfect. And for this, I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. So go over to chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, and look what this verse says. And this is kind of the lead-in to uh, Christ and his priesthood. So this priesthood of Aaron, the priesthood of the Old Covenant, was imperfect. And this is pretty strong language. Beginning in verse 18 of chapter 7, it says, For on the one hand there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So, we have this word annulling with reference to the old covenant, which means to remove, to set aside, to do away with. So with respect to Aaron and his priesthood, it was annulled, it was removed, it was set aside, it was done away with. Why? Because it was weak, it was limited, unable to do what it was supposed to do, it was helpless. It was also unprofitable, it was to no advantage, 
It was useless because nothing is perfect. It is all ineffectual and weak and inconsequential. That was the old covenant priesthood. But it is removed, it says in verse 19, to bring in a better hope. It was removed so that we, and, and here the Hebrews, I think, just kind of brings all of us in, that we might draw to God. After all, that was the purpose, right? You can't come into uh, God's presence because we have a problem, right? And that problem is what? Sin. We have a problem. It is our sin. And we can't take ourselves into the presence of God with our sin. He is holy and we are not. And we would be consumed like Aaron's two sons were consumed. But we have a better hope where we can draw near to God. And that hope that we have is Jesus Christ. And this is where we want to put our focus this morning. And here is our first point as we consider Jesus the high priest who delivers us. First of all, Jesus is the perfect priest. He is the perfect priest. In a couple of the verses that we just read, we saw how Aaron was imperfect and he was taken among men and he had to, from among men and he had to offer sins for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. There was a lot of imperfection on the part of Aaron. But Jesus is the perfect priest. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. And notice how it describes Jesus here. It says, For such a high priest, Jesus, was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and he and has become higher than the heavens. Higher than the heavens. So the old priests, they were weak and sinful, and they died. But not Jesus. Jesus was holy. He was without sin. He is undefiled. He is higher than the heavens. He is the perfect priest. Now, as the perfect priest, he is able to minister for us so that we can make it into the presence of God. And we might talk about this, and we might talk about the salvation that he brings, or even more to the point, Jesus as the perfect priest is able to be the best kind of mediator or advocate for us that could possibly be had. So let's pretend uh, you wanted a job at a place and it was a, there was a job opening. It was a great, it's a great job. And, um, you know, there's probably a lot of people that are applying for that job and, you know, you really want this job. But you know somebody who works at the company and you know somebody who knows the person that you would be that, that would be hiring. And so that person advocates for you or puts in a good word for you to the boss so that when you apply, there is something about you. It's already, you, you've already been presented in order to get this job. Or maybe we should use a, a good lawyer kind of illustration. Something happens and somebody, you need a lawyer. And so the lawyer he knows the law, and he knows your situation, and he knows what's going on, and he is able to advocate for you in the best possible way so that you can escape from this. This is what Jesus does for us. He is the perfect priest, the perfect mediator, the perfect advocate. He goes to the Father with, the, with what he has done, and he says to the Father, this is my child. I have shed my blood for him. Receive him as you have received me. That's Jesus, the perfect priest. 
Aaron couldn't do that. None of Aaron's sons could do that. For generations and generations, none of them could do it. They were imperfect, but Jesus is able to do it because he is the perfect priest. So that brings us to our second point. Not only is Jesus the perfect priest, but Jesus is the Savior of people. Now we know this already. I mean, this is what we preach all the time. And you hear over and over and over again that Jesus is the one who saves us from our sins. Amen? And I hope that even though we hear it and read it and, and see it over and over again, that we never get tired of understanding what that means for us. We should, we should uh, push ourselves and make sure we don't get comfortable in that truth. That we see it afresh every time we sing about it and every time we consider it. That Jesus has saved us from our sins. He is the Savior of people. In Hebrews chapter 7 again. Verses 24 and 25. Here's some great verses. There are so many good verses in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews just exalts Jesus like no other book exalts Jesus. It says in verse 24, But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is able to save to the uttermost. That means there is nothing left over. It doesn't fall short in any way. I, I like to think of that. Every time I read this, I think of it as, it doesn't matter what I have done. He is able to save me completely from my sins. Praise the Lord for, for that. And the next part is even greater. He always lives to make intercession for us. Now, is Jesus living today? Yes, he is, right? He is living today, and because he lives, he is interceding for us right now. He knows each one of us by name, and he is before the throne, putting in a good word for us, if you will, right? He is interceding for us. We belong to Him. He has shed His blood for our sins. He has saved us to the uttermost. He intercedes for us before the throne of God. In Hebrews chapter 2, so go back a couple of chapters here to chapter 2, verse 17. Again, we're talking about how Jesus is our Savior. It says, therefore, in all things... He had to be made like his brethren. Now, that talks about the incarnation right there, that phrase. Uh, if he was going to minister for us and to minister on our behalf, he became like us in order to do that. In all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation. That word propitiation means to, to make reconciliation or to bring about forgiveness for the of the people. So he became like us so that he could bring forgiveness for us. And we are thankful for what he has done. Skip over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, It says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I love this verse. It, is a, it has the Trinity in it, the spirit 
and the Father and the Son is in this verse, and it talks about the blood of Jesus offered through the Spirit of God to God that we might be forgiven and change. There's a change in our lives from dead works to serve the living God. And this is the transformation that salvation has brought about for us. Now, like I said, we hear this a lot, and, and I was trying to think of... Uh, well, I want you to do something for me just for a moment. I want you to look at the ground in front of you. Okay, I want everybody to look at the ground in front of you. Now, the ground in front of you, just focus on it for a second and focus on what you see. So you might see, what, the green carpet? Isn't that a beautiful color? The beautiful color green carpet here that we have. You might see some flecks of darker green and lighter green just kind of mixed in, but this is beautiful green carpet. And uh, maybe you see like a a stain here or there, some dirt, even though we just recently had it cleaned. But you might still see it, and you probably are the cause of one of those little dirts, pieces of dirt right there. You might see the, the bottoms of the, the chairs, and you might see your uh, nice-looking shoes right there in front of you. You might even see some of the shoes of the person next to you. But just kind of focus on this and focus on the things. And, and this, is, this is our life. This is our life. It, it consists of just you know, these things in front of us, and we get so focused on that spot of dirt or on the, how our shoes look or on the chair, if there's a, a dent or a chip in it or whatever it is, we just kind of get focused on this. And, and, uh, and we think about it and we think about it and we dwell, and we're looking down and we dwell in on, on all of this, but we have to remember that Jesus has saved us from this. And salvation is like taking your eyes off of the floor in front of you and looking up. So look up. And what do you see? All of these people and the praises of God just kind of ringing forth and the, the fellowship that we can have with one another. It's so much bigger. I mean, if I look here, I can only see like this much, right? But if I look up, all of a sudden, it's just kind of expanded. And we can see so much and we have so many people and so, so many different things to engage ourselves in. And that's what salvation is like. So often, our circumstances and our situation, it's like looking at the ground and just kind of focusing on it. When Jesus has saved us and he wants us to look up and to see the greatness of the salvation that he has made available to us. And so let us not be so focused on the dirt, the bad thing maybe that we're going through, the bad thing that somebody else is going through, our loved one or whatever. But let us look up and consider that Jesus has saved us and it is all before us and it is so great. He is the Savior of us. Our third point here. He is the faithful servant. He is the faithful servant. Now, Hebrews chapter 3, turn to chapter 3 in Hebrews, and verses 1 through 6 are some important verses. And this, this passage actually refers back to Moses and what was going on during the time of Moses. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 here. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and we're considering Jesus the faithful servant. So it says this, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one, Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than, than uh, Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope 
firm to the end. Now, this passage, what it says basically is this. So Moses was a faithful servant of God. Moses was an incredible servant of God. God had called Moses, and yeah, you know, he had some trouble initially, but once the burning bush came, I mean, yeah, he still had some trouble, but it says of Moses that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. He, he, had, he had given his life over to God, and he did everything that God instructed him to. He constructed the tabernacle, and he, he oversaw the people of Israel, and, and he was faithful. Moses was faithful to God. But as faithful as Moses was, Jesus is even more faithful in the ministry that he has been given. Jesus, in obeying, Jesus the Son, in obeying his Father, came to this earth, faithfully carried out the work of the ministry of the gospel, went to the cross, bore the sins of the world, died and paid the penalty for them, and rose again from the the dead. That's a whole lot that Jesus did. And Jesus did it perfectly. He served his purpose. He did his work perfectly, faithfully, without wavering, without wandering. That is his faithful service to us. You know, we consider, maybe for us, we consider, you know, our our husbands or our wives, you know, our spouses, and we, we consider a faithful spouse to be one who is committed to his spouse or her spouse. He or she are they're committed to their children. They are faithful and they do everything that they can for the sake of their family and, and they're faithful in their, their homes. And maybe we know some people like that. We can understand the idea of faithfulness and ongoing, humble service to the family. Or we could, you know, even somebody who is faithful at their job is a hard worker. You know, they go into the office and they don't waste much time, and they do their job, and they do it well, and they seek to improve, and they are, they are faithful. They're, they're always there at work. They don't take sick days when they're not sick, and so on and so forth. You know, a faithful worker, a hard worker. We understand that concept, and this is what Jesus did. Even though we're imperfect in our roles that we have, Jesus is perfect in his service. He did the work. He brought about our salvation. He accomplished it for us. And if we have faith in Him, it will be accomplished in us for all of eternity. It will, because He was faithful. Another thing that Jesus does for us as priests, and all of these relate to the fact that Jesus is our high priest. So He is the perfect priest. As a priest, He's able to save us and to bring about forgiveness. He serves well as a priest. He has done the work He is supposed to do. And here is another benefit of having Jesus as our high priest. He is the escape from temptation. He is the escape from temptation. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. Now notice what it says here. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. What a great high priest. Remember, one of the... One of the requirements for the priesthood when, was when he offered his sacrifices in the Old Testament, he was to offer it out of compassion for the people. Remember that? This is Jesus here. 
He has compassion upon us. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. You know, now sometimes we put up a front and we try to, you know, come across as everything is okay and, you know, before other people and, um, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing good. How are you doing? And, you know, we just kind of share those, uh, um, those, those little platitudes with each other, you know, just kind of coming across as, as being okay. And uh, yet on the inside, maybe we're really struggling or carrying a, a heavy burden and, and uh, barely making it, you know, uh, we're barely making it by. But Jesus understands that. He knows. We don't have to put up a front with Jesus because he can look into our hearts. He sees exactly what it is that we're dealing with. He knows our weaknesses. He knows we want to do better, but we can't. And we, he knows the struggles that we have. And so he is able to sympathize with, that, with us because he was tempted in every way, just like we are. So it doesn't matter what you're going through. He knows about it. He's able to sympathize with it. He knows our weaknesses. He was tempted just like we are, yet he was without sin. And what that means is that we can turn to Jesus. In turning to Jesus, he provides the escape for us from the temptations that we face because he has already taken that way. And so we walk with him. He is the escape that we can have from the temptations and the struggles and the trials that we face in this life. There are a couple important verses here for us to consider Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, and, and uh, these are some verses that you might want to circle or, or uh, use in order to remind yourself of the importance of being faithful to Jesus. It says in verse, Hebrews 12, 3, it says, For consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. If anybody was not treated right, it was Jesus. He was treated unfairly. Consider him, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Now, this is a really powerful verse. Now, it's obviously referring to the time of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the battle of Jesus that he, that he endured as he faced the prospect of going to the cross was so intense that it says in the Gospel of Luke, he sweat blood. Now apparently, I haven't looked this up in a long time, but apparently that is a real medical condition. The battle that we face uh, in some circumstances can be so intense that blood seeps from the skin, from the pores of the skin. Now, the verse says here, in our striving against sin, we have not had to strive to that degree of, an, of intensity like Jesus did. And this is the lesson for us. I mean, sometimes, a lot of times we think, this is so hard. I cannot do it. This is more than I can bear. We start to say these kinds of things. Lord, you said I would not be tempted more than, than I could handle. We're going to look at that verse in a second. You said that I could not be tempted more than I can handle. But this is more than I can handle. Don't you see, Lord, how hard this is? And yet, while we think like that, we have not yet resisted to the point of blood. In other words, we think it's a lot more than it really is 
There is a lot more before us that we could endure that none of us really want to endure anything harder than we're facing, right? So anyways, look to Jesus lest we become weary and discouraged in our battle against temptations and trials. He went through it all. He knows what we're facing. So let's go with him and be encouraged rather than discouraged. And then the other verse here concerning temptations, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overcome you, overtaken you, except such as is common to man. In other words, what you're going through, others are going through it and have gone through it. None of our situations is unique to us. They are common to man. But God, and here's This is great. Remember we saw how Jesus is the faithful servant? God is faithful. He is faithful. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. But with the temptation, he will also make a way of escape. That you may be able to bear it. That's kind of interesting there. He says that you might be able to bear it. He doesn't say that you might be able to escape from it. Sometimes we have to... I mean, it's a way of escape so that we can bear it. That's kind of an interesting combination there. But anyway... This is the promise that he gives to us. I know it's hard and it's grueling and you, know, you just feel like you can't go on anymore, but God is greater and he is faithful and he gives a way of escape and he will help you to bear it. So persevere, Christian. Don't give up. Persevere. Keep on running the race. Don't give up. Keep on going forward. The next point here is that Jesus is the giver of mercy. Jesus is the giver of mercy. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we're talking about a time of need. We're in a time of need. Hebrews 4, 16 at the end there. In time of need, what are we supposed to do? Go boldly before the throne of grace. Now, I grew up in a tradition that preached for this verse, and it was like, if you want something from God, just go, you know, just go right in, march into his presence through Jesus Christ and, and tell him what you want. And I guess there's some, uh, some truth of that, except I think that there is a greater truth at here, uh, at play here, because none of us are worthy to go before the throne of grace, right? Because of our sinfulness, we have no hope of entering into his presence. It's like Esther. Esther had to go in to plead for mercy for her people because they were about to be destroyed. And, and she said, you know, if I go in there and he doesn't extend the scepter to me, I'm going to, my life is forfeit. I'm going to die. He's going to kill me. And this is what it is to go into the, the throne of God, to go before him with our sin. We will be consumed by it. But don't be afraid. Because Jesus has died for our sins. Therefore, we have been forgiven and we can enter into the holy place. We can expect Him to hold that scepter to to us to spare our life. So go boldly before His throne in your time of need. Because when you go in there, you will find the grace and the mercy that you need to help you in your needy time. And so Jesus is the giver of mercy. It is because of what he has done for us that enables us to go into the very presence of God and to get the help that we need. Praise be to God for that. And then uh, this last one here, I just said, you know, Jesus is the fixer of everything. Isn't that great? You know, he's the fixer of everything. And I got this from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 13, and you might be able to come up with a, a better point for it, but... Here's, here's what it says. 
says, but this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till all his enemies are made his footstool. So he did the work of redemption. He sat down at the right hand of God until all his enemies are made his footstool. In other words, there's coming a day in which all of this, all of the trouble, all of the sin will pass once and for all. And in that day, he will have fixed everything. So I was uh, talking in Sunday school this morning, and during my prayer, there were some needs that we had. And so I prayed uh, during my prayer, if it is your will, you know, heal so-and-so and that kind of thing. So somebody came up afterwards and they said, isn't it God's will all the time for us to be healed? And, and he continued and to share that. Uh, you know, there's coming a day, even, even when we pass from here and we go to be in the presence of God, that we're going to be all right. And that's true, because there is not going to be any sickness in heaven. There is not going to be any sorrow. There aren't going to be any people problems. It's all going to be done away with and fixed. So he is the great fixer of all things. We might have to go through it now a little bit for, for a short period of time, but he has already won the victory. He is already sitting on the throne, and one day every enemy will be his footstool, and we will be delivered. We might be experiencing 70 years or 80 years or however, how long, you wanna, how long do you want to live? And just put that number in there. Pastor, I want to live to be 114. All right, just for 114 years, you experience a short period of trouble. But 114 years to eternity is nothing but a... And so we might have trouble now for 114 years, but there is a whole, a whole bunch of times, a whole bunch of time, all of eternity where there will be, all of this will be gone. It'll all have been taken care of. He has fixed it all, and we can look forward to it. That is our hope. It is like stopping to focus on the little bit of ground in front of us and looking up and seeing the great glory that is before us for all of eternity. Praise be to the Lord. It is so much better to look at all of this than to focus on this. And so let us look up in Jesus' name and trust in him for the deliverance of our souls. Let's stand as we sing our final song this morning.